We meet today in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 9 to verse 17. Christ Jesus stands behind the wall as we see the beloved one standing behind the wall. Now Christ has gone to be at God's right hand and we are down here on the earth. Actually, it is like the time when Jesus went to the mountain top to pray after he had fed the 5,000. And his disciples were down on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a big storm. That is the way it is today, my friend. I'm down here in a storm. He is up at God's right hand. The good news is he will come back. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind the wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. Song of Solomon 2 verse 9. You see, like I said, Christ is on the other side of the wall and everything under the sun is trying to keep us from him, by the way. What is it that is under the sun, the world, the flesh and the devil? But he still says to us the same thing that he said to Zacchaeus. Make haste. And come down, for today I must stay at your house. Luke 19 verse 5. He still tells us he wants to come in and sup with us as he went into the home of that old publican and had fellowship with him. He will come to you if you will invite him. This is the one of whom John the Baptist said, But there stands among you whom you do not know. John 1 verse 26. And today the world does not know Christ. He is behind the wall. A war of indifference. A war of rebellion against God. A war of sin. That is the picture we have here. Next is Song of Solomon 2 verse 10 to verse 13. Actually this gives us the song of his return. That's the good news. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Now, these words are important. Rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He did it because he is going to come to take the church out of this world. He is going to present the church to himself as a church that is purified. All of us believers need that purifying. He sanctifies and cleanses us with the washing of water by the word of God. That is the reason we have Bible study. You see, he wants to present to himself a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle. He wants it to be holy and without blemish. That is why he calls, Rise, my love, my fair one, come away. 
for lo, the winter is past. You see, it is cold here in this world, but the winter will be gone. The good news is when Jesus Christ comes, the winter will be gone. And even when someone finds their rest in Christ, the rest of salvation, the winter is gone. The rain is over and gone. You see, the storm of life will then have been abated. Are you having a hard time today, my friend? Yes, Christ said, in the world you shall have tribulation. John 16, verse 33. So don't be upset if you are having trouble. It is one of the marks that you belong to Christ, that you are a child of God. But when he comes, all the trouble will be over. He will wipe away all tears from your eyes. Every broken heart will be healed. Every sorrow will have vanished away when we are in the presence of Christ. The winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. You see, that is the, the glory of Christ's coming. When the Lord Jesus comes for his own and takes them out of this world to be, with him to the beautiful home which he has prepared. I believe it will be a beautiful garden of flowers. And I think that in the new Jerusalem, there will be a profusion of flowers. You see, but these flowers speak of a new sense of beauty where he takes us into. And of course, you can think of the fragrance of the flowers. The time of the singing of birds is come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. The time of the singing of birds, you see, is another very lovely expression here. There is going to be a great deal of singing when we come into the presence of Christ. Have you ever noticed that there is a great deal of singing that opens the story of the Gospels? Dr. Luke is the writer who starts further back in the account of the birth of Christ than any of the other gospel writers. And he recorded the songs. In Dr. Luke's account, there is the song of Zachariah, the song of Elizabeth, the song of Mary, the one we called the Magnificent, the song of Anna, and the song of Simeon. You see, there were a lot of songs connected with his birth. The church began singing, and the joy of these people is what called attention to them in the Roman world. Someday, when we come into Christ's presence, we will sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wondrous things. The very singing of birds of the air and the bursting buds of the flowers of the earth should remind us of the debt of joyful gratitude we owe to his great salvation, my friend. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. You see, the dove has always been the emblem of peace. The reason for that is that the dove went out and brought back an olive leaf to Noah after the waters of the flood had receded. That spoke of peace because the judgment was over. Also, the turtle dove speaks to us of our salvation, which is complete because the judgment is past. It is past because Christ bore the judgment for us. He has endured it on our behalf. I am saved, not because of who I am, but because of what Christ did. My friend, your sins are either on you or they are on Christ. If your sins are on you, you are 
yet to come up for judgment. If you have trusted Christ, your sins are on him. He bore them for you and the judgment is passed. By faith, you appropriate the salvation, you see. The turtle dove speaks of the peace that he has made for us. This is the reason that not just a few of the saints will go to meet Christ at that rapture. There are some people who believe that only the super-duper saints will go. Those who are who proclaim and profess to be holier than others. Now, my friend, the hope of every believer is to be taken with Christ when he comes for his church. We will go to be with him, not because we have been holy saints, but because he has made peace by the blood of his cross. The turtle dove is a symbol of this, my friend. The turtle dove is the dove of the morning. It heralds a new day that is coming. And then we also have the fig tree that puts forth her green figs and the vine with tender grapes give a good smell. My friend, these are the signs of springtime. And so the springtime of our salvation is anticipated in these verses. Arise, my love, my fair one, come away. By the way, First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 tells us that the dead in Christ shall rise first. And the Lord Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. John 14, verse 2 to verse 3. So, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. The resurrection is anticipated. Now the dove is in the clefts of the rock. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 14 says, O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. You see, the psalmist made this plea in Psalm 74 verse 19, Oh, do not deliver the life of your turtle dove to the wild beast. Will the Lord deliver us, my friend? We are told that he will hide us in the clefts of the rock, and that rock symbolizes Christ. He is the rock upon whom the church is built. He bore our judgment, and we can rest in him. That should bring us not only satisfaction, but also security. If you are on the rock today, you are safe. If you are in Christ, you are safe. Even if you do not recognize the assurance of this, you are still safe. The dove is also an emblem for the Holy Spirit. He descended like a dove on the Lord Jesus. And everyone who is in Christ has that dove-like spirit dwelling in him. Romans 8 verse 9 tells us, Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And true believers, you see, are like doves in their simplicity and their gentleness. Our Lord admonished us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Matthew 10 verse 16. The dove is a bird of timidity. It's a timid bird. And the Lord Jesus said, 
they shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria, and I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. Hosea chapter 11 verse 11. So the dove here needs a hiding place in the clefts of the rock. Christ is a beautiful picture of the rock who was wounded for us. As someone has said, I go into the heart of Christ through a spear wound. Augustus M. Tomplace, wonderful hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, is based on this wonderful thought. He is the rock of ages. Nothing in my hand I bring. I only come to the rock of ages. Song of Songs 2, verse 15. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. You see, they could put up a fence or a wall that could keep out the big foxes, but they had trouble with the little foxes. Those little foxes would sneak through, you see. They were the ones that would sneak in and destroy the grapes and tear up the young vines. This has a message for us today. Foxes are both subtle sins and fox-like men who corrupt others. Both were resolutely dragged into the light of day by John the Baptist. Regarding the subtle sins, he said in Luke 3 verse 11, 13 to 14, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has one, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Then John the Baptist pointed his finger at Herod, whom our Lord called that old fox in John in Luke 13 verse, verse 32. He told him that he had no right to be married to another man's wife. I tell you, my friend, a preacher doesn't make himself popular when he says that kind of a thing. And old Herod had John the Baptist beheaded. He had him killed by chopping off his head. However, it is the young foxes that get into the contemporary church today and cause trouble. The little sins spoil the fellowship among believers and spoil a Christian life. For example, they are the little sins of omission. James 4 verse 17 tells us, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Here is one of those little foxes. This is the sin of omission. How often do we see something that we should do for God, but we didn't do it? How often have we sinned in this way? We are told that the Lord Jesus went about doing good. Why don't we do it, my friend? How often have we intended to write a letter, but we didn't write it? How often have we intended to do something for missions, but we neglected to do it? How many times? We should have been praying for someone, but we neglected to pray. We think of the words of the prophet Samuel. First Samuel 12 verse 23. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. 
You see, these little sins of omission are common. They are the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. Here is another one of those little foxes. Romans 14 verse 23. Everything that is not of faith is sin. Now, how often do we take a step on our own, but we try to call it a step of faith? We know it is not really faith. We know we just want to have our own way. That is sin. It is a little fox. It gets in and spoils the work of God. We have a tendency to lean on that very lamb, the broken reed, and try to hold ourselves up with it and maintain a religious attitude. We say, I'm doing this because God is leading me, when we know that it is not true. We say it so lightly. Now Romans tells us that whatever we do that is not of faith is sin, is sin. Showing partiality is another fox that is seen among God's people. James lowers the boom on that. James 2 verse 9, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now how tragic it is to see in some churches a well-known or a wealth man acknowledged in the service and some poor man who probably is more godly, absolutely ignored. That is a little fox that really wrecks God's work in our day. I mean, as a pastor, I have had many experiences when I just sneak into some congregation, even not wanting to be recognized. And because I am known, people would call on me and say, oh, we would like to acknowledge Pastor Makanga is with us. Whereas, there maybe there are people there who have been going there several times and have never been acknowledged. Then there is... The little fox of not giving freely to God. It is not the amount of the giving that is the only thing that is wrong about it. It is the attitude of giving, the hypocrisy of it all. We sing songs such as, Where the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, then we put pennies into the collection plate or bag. We actually sing lies. We pretend we have given ourselves and all that we have to the Lord. Oh, my friend, it is the little foxes that are destroying a lot of the grapes today. The night before the daybreak. The next wonderful statement now follows closely after the song of the bridegroom's return, which is symbolic of the rapture, that is Christ's coming again for the church. Song of Songs 2 verse 16 says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feeds among the lilies. This Song of Solomon expresses the highest spiritual state of the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and the believer. There is no other book of the Bible which portrays this relationship any better than this little book. And there is no higher plan than this right here. My beloved is mine and I'm his. This is one of the deepest, most profound of all theological truths, which our Lord Jesus put into seven simple words. You in me and I in you. John 14 verse 20. The bride says, my beloved is mine and I am his. 
You and I live in a day when we may not have very much of this world's goods, yet we are rich, my friend. We don't glory man, we glory in Christ. Therefore, let no man glory in man. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 21 to 23. So you see here, we belong to Christ. He is ours. He belongs to us. He is our savior. He is our shepherd. We ought to draw very close to him and appropriate these wonderful spiritual blessings that are ours. It is a high level of spiritual life when you and I can say, my beloved is mine and I am his. He feeds among the lilies. This again refers to the flower-strewn couch upon which he reclines at the banqueting table. It speaks of satisfaction, of fellowship, of joy, of everything that is wonderful. This world is seeking things, my friend. This world is looking for a good time. The world wants to live it up. Well, let's have a good time and live it up by sitting at Christ's table and rejoicing in him. Song of Songs 2, verse 17. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Bertha. We come back to that picture again of Christ as the hind of the morning. Remember that we saw him on that bright morning in verse 8, standing on the mountain peak in triumph, all during the night, the hunters had been after his life, and the fierce dogs had been leaping at him. How terrible it was. He went through the doorway of death, but he came through the doorway of resurrection. Now, in light of that, although you and I are presently living in a dark world, we can look forward to the daybreak, my friend. Let the redemption that you have in Christ and all that he has done for you be meaningful to you. Rest upon that. Let that be your comfort. Let that be the pillow for your head during the dark hours of this life until the day break and the shadows flee away. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for, and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.